Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Thank you today for <laughs> already. <laughs> I didn't even finish. I'm sorry. God. It, was just, it was the hello plus the pause. It just, <laughs> hello. Uh, <laughs> I was pausing for dramatic effect. Trent, I'm an actor. God, it's like you don't even know me. She was finding her light. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Forget. <laughs> That's right. Okay, take two. My bad. I'm ready this time. Hello, and welcome to Imagine This. I'm Prashina. I'm Trent. And today, we're talking about a hot-button issue right now. Um, the strikes for SAG-AFTRA and also the WGA um, and possibly some other strikes and union formations that are happening. So... Um, we're excited to talk about this because this has been going all summer. Yeah, and we can't be a podcast that talks about new work and not talk about this because yeah. it really matters. While we mainly talk about theater, and to be clear, this is not a theater strike. However, yeah. and well, we can get into <laughs> that, but like as of now, the th- there's no theater aspect of this strike there are people in the theater world many of whom all of whom are supporting the strike that's Mm -hmm. happening but it's not impacting playwrights because that's a separate issue there are Mm -hmm. playwrights who are also screenwriters and that would be affecting them and there are actors who work both in the world of theater and film and it's not affecting their theater acting but it's affecting their screen acting you know so there are differences here to draw however these industries are more intertwined than we often give them credit for and Mm -hmm. we're here to talk about new stories and the ability to tell new stories through the medium of a film is being directly impacted by this strike for some pretty important reasons that we want to unpack today. Because we hear so often either misinformation or misunderstanding of what the strike 
is about and why it's mm-hmm. important. And we want to dispel that today and talk about what's really going on. And Brashina is our resident strike <laughs> expert because she lives on Twitter. I do. <laughs> um, I, I, I have really taken um, to following this strike. First off, because um, I think the last strike that I personally remember was in 2007. Um, and that's when I was a little bit younger. I couldn't follow it as well because I wasn't, you know, like into it. But I remember being like, what are they striking for? This is kind of interesting. And, you know, having talks about it at home. Um, and my family is very much pro-union. So every time there was a strike, we would talk about it and what that means growing up in my house. Um, and so following the SAG-AFTRA and WGA strikes has just kind of been me being able to do this as an adult. Um, and so the just to like give y'all a little bit of a background about what's happening. Um, the WGA struck first and they were on strike for basically an entire month before SAG-AFTRA also went on strike. They and to clarify, just in case anyone doesn't know, mm-hmm. WGA is going to be the union for writers. Mm-hmm. SAG-AFTRA is going to be the union for actors. Yeah. So WGA stands for Writers Guild of America. Um, and there are two, um, delineations they're the same union but there's one on the east coast and there's one on the west coast um and then for SAG-AFTRA I'm totally gonna butcher this um but it's the uh Screen Actors Guild uh and then the after part is radio it's just like recently like within the last 10 years it's like a film, television, radio yeah. of America, or it might be American. We should have looked yeah. this up, but we didn't. <laughs> we because why would we? But I think American Film Television Radio Association, something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. yeah. So those are those are the two groups that we're talking about, WGA and SAG-AFTRA. Um, and the WGA went on strike first. Um, we love writers here, but writers are really – really taken for granted in a lot of things and everything that you see on screen on stage came from the mind of a writer of some kind even the futurists I don't want to hear from you today um (laughs) everything came from the mind of a writer um and they are vastly like kind of taken for granted um because nobody really like pays attention to writers they're not the ones who are on screen a lot more people pay attention to actors um so the reason that the and to that point studios are billing directors and actors those are the names that people know and so from studio perspectives they're saying well it's these people who are bringing people to the movies Mm -hmm. because they've recognized those names and it's like okay that's well and good however if they didn't have a good story to direct and or act in it Mm -hmm. wouldn't matter Hmm, that's true and that's kind of that's actually kind of why the wga struck um, this year. Um, there's two like main sticking points. There are a lot of WGA um, requests that were in this last contract negotiation. Um, and I believe they're still up on both their like Instagram and their website, but you can actually like go up and see what their um, requests were for this last um, contract negotiation. Um, and a lot of them hinge on streaming residuals and AI, um, artificial intelligence. Um, and so I'll start with the easy one, <laughs> which is streaming residuals. Um, if you don't know how, 
TV studios make money, um, basically they make money off of ad revenue. So when a show used to air on like network television, you would make money based on the ads that were running during the show. So even though we were always really annoyed by ads, that was how the studios made money, that was how the actors made money, and everyone involved on the project, the writers, the directors, everybody. That's how you make money. Um, so, and you get um, residuals every time that uh, episode that you're in airs. So if you're a writer on a project, even if you're just like your very tiny writing credit at the bottom, you still get a residual. Um, so like think of, you know, popular shows like Friends from the 90s. Um, not just the like first time those aired, but any time there was like a Friends episode that was on network television or a Friends marathon that was on, everyone involved with those projects got a residual. And it made for a really nice paycheck. So even if you weren't working at the time you were still getting paid for work you'd already done uh, and that's how the network model worked streaming is still fairly new um, and it has not fallen under the same requirement of residuals as network programming has so that's kind of that was one of the big sticking points for the wga yeah and so like clarify that even a little further mm -hmm. their contracts we're still based on cable network ways of streaming movies and shows a lot of the time. Kind of? Well, in the sense that yeah. it was, it hadn't shifted to be equivalent, I no. guess is what I mean. Well, you know, whereas the process that Brashina is describing made them X number of dollars, mm -hmm. it had not shifted to explain how they make something comparative in the world of streaming. Mm -hmm. They hadn't figured out what that looks like in the contracts. So people, whereas before they were making a living doing mm -hmm. this, were simply not anymore. Yeah. Um, a, a big... So this comes this comes into play like in a couple different ways. One of the things is that like streamers at first were the place where, oh, you don't need to see ads anymore, you know? Um, so even though an ad was playing on, on network television, when we first got like DVR and that sort of thing, where you could then fast forward through ads in real time, you still had an ad that played. So the ad, uh, the advertisers were still paying the studio. So people still got residuals regardless of whether people were actually seeing the ads or not. Um, streamers then came out and were like, well, we're the place where you can watch things without ads. Ha ha, isn't that fun and interesting? Um, and that sounded like a great idea at first. And that gave all of the studios who started their own streaming services kind of the excuse, I'll say, um, of not paying <laughs> because they weren't receiving ad revenue. Um, well, one of the things that's changed for that is that now most of the streamers do have ads of some kind, um, and they're still not paying out the kind of residuals that they were paying for network television. So the WGA was like, hmm, some things are not adding up correctly. Um, and then the other thing is, again, like to go back to network television, we always used to hear about like viewership numbers. Like that was a big thing. It was like, this is the most watched television mm -hmm. show in the United States. And it would, um, that was actually like uh, for network television, especially um, like network TV shows, there was a day where like the viewership numbers came out and you could see like 
everyone who had watched her show and been, you know, then you could really see. That's how we knew that, like, Friends was a hit because they had every, I think every quarter or something, it would talk about, like, viewership numbers. And so they would come out with them and you'd be like, yeah, this is a hit. We're going to keep going for another eight seasons. And they just keep doing it. Um, Studios who have streaming services are not doing that anymore. They have the viewership numbers. They're just not sharing them with anyone. So you also can't base your residual pay on viewership numbers if you don't know what they are. Because then the studio can just tell you, this is what this is. And you, there's no legal way for you to fight it. Um, so that is also part of it, is the WGA is asking not only to know what the viewership numbers are, um, but also that they are shared with everyone involved in the process. Um, and recently we found out that this is actually al- already a model in Paris and Germany because it's illegal <laughs> to not do this over there. So we know that they have the capability to do it. They just don't want to share so that way they don't have to pay people. Well, you know. I'm not going to be impartial here. I don't like the studios on this one. <laughs> so that's a little bit about streaming residuals for the WGA. That's kind of yeah. what we're going off there. And I, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, this is, you know, not impartial. But, you yeah. know, it's not about being impartial. The fact of the matter is that the writers are the one from whom the stories originate. Like we yeah. said at the beginning of this episode, you need people to tell quality stories. Um, the actors and the directors are important and should also be paid. Mm-hmm. However, they don't have work to do without first the work of the writers. Yeah. And the writers have to be respected and paid for their craft and not treated as though a machine could do their job, which brings us to our <laughs> next point. AI, artificial intelligence, um, which at this point is kind of a misnomer. Um, my cyber tech parents would be remiss if I did not say this out loud. AI right now is not officially like the artificial intelligence that we think of when we see like movies. Right now, it can just, you just put in um, a you put in a, we'll say this time, you put in a script and then it can recreate that script based on all the other scripts that you've put into it. So um, (laughs) what's happening with the WGA um, is the studios want to go to a system where every script has to go through an AI editor. Um, And the reason that's an issue is because once something is in an AI system, because it then remakes itself a bunch of different ways, like millions of different ways almost to infinity um it is impossible to scrub something from that system um and the writers had already said like this is this is really bad because ai doesn't actually create anything based on what it's given um it can just regurgitate things that it's given in different formats so what you could feasibly do um let's say that we had an atlanta script that went into an AI editor and that the AI like found the typos and, you know, cleaned it up that way. Now that Atlanta script is in that database and all the writers that worked on it are now, their styles are in that database. So if an executive was to come up to this AI database and go, hey, give me a script in the style of Atlanta, it will do exactly that. Now it won't, 
use exactly the script that it was given, it will pull from other scripts that it's been given as well. So you may get some lines from Superman and Lois in there. <laughs> you may get some lines from Atlanta. And you may get some lines from Friends and all these other things. Um, and each time that this is done, the writers who were responsible for these works don't have to be paid because technically it's not their work, but it is. We, we kind of understand that it is. Yeah. So, yeah. It is. It became, a, you know, there's been a lot of attention on Facebook about AI using, like, art online to mm -hmm. create AI-generated images. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that visually is helpful for people because yeah. you can, like, see how different artists' styles are being pirated, mm -hmm. right? Well, it's the same thing with writing. Just because it's not this visual thing that you can look at two things and say, oh, well, yeah, this face, the way that these eyes are drawn is exactly how this artist draws eyes, mm -hmm. right? Like with visual art, you can see the ways in which AI is taking advantage of artists online. Well, it's the same thing with writers. It's just not as visual it's not as visceral if you will but it's the same thing they're taking the way that people craft characters they're taking the way that people write witticisms they're taking the way that people describe a scene it's not even always the dialogue the way that yeah. people craft how people move on stage the way that people craft what the backdrop is for this scene is all part of the way that art comes to life, right? Mm -hmm. And it's taking advantage of these people's work and then acting like it's something that a machine did when really it's just mimicking all of this human talent. Mm -hmm. And even though it's mimicking human talent, if you've seen any of the scripts that have been generated with AI, it's not even close to what you'll get from an actual like professional screenwriter. So you still have to hire a human to edit these scripts that come out of this AI database, but you can pay them considerably less than if they were the ones coming up with the original idea. So there's that. Um, and then an another big thing for the WGA. So those were the two like major sticking points. And then another one is um, writer's rooms. Um, as we all know, <laughs> writers' rooms have been a thing in television since the beginning of television. Um, they are a thing for film scripts. Like, anything that you've seen on TV has come from a room full of writers. Um, one of the things that has been happening here lately is that writers' rooms have been getting smaller and smaller. Um, whereas normally you'd have, I'd say for a show, you typically have about like eight to 10 writers on an episode. Um, that has been dwindling down to where you have maybe four writers. If you're lucky, most of these writers are going down to like what's called a mini room, which is like that four to four to one, basically <laughs> one to four people working on one show. Um, and that is not good for any of the writers because it puts the future of the industry, the, the future of screenwriting industry in jeopardy. 
uh, because then you don't have as many like junior writers who are being trained how to work on TV shows. You don't have writers that can go to set and help to make like little changes in between scripts. Um, you know, some of the things, some of the line changes that people attribute to um, ad libbing actually came from the writers that were on set for different things um they were actually you know writers were actually the ones that were on set making changes to the script in real time and those don't always make it in um to uh to the viewers um sometimes they just go into a big uh they just go into the screenwriters library um but writers on set have been a vital part of making films and making tv for you know, a long, long time. Um, and rooms of writers are important because you get different voices in the room for different things. Um, recently, there have been coming out like different examples of episodes that were written one way by the original um, writer and then they were changed once they got into the room because somebody spoke up or several people spoke up and were saying, oh, this would actually be a much better perspective or this would be much different. Um, and so like, losing a writer's room you lose a lot of like the creativity that comes with some of our favorite episodes of television and this happens on every episode of television every film <laughs> something starts out one way and then it gets rewritten and it's better so yeah that's that's a little bit about the wga and side of things that's the art of writing right like you know we think of writing as putting pen to paper or just mm -hmm. typing words into a document and like, whew, you're done. But really the art of writing is in the edit and the rewrite mm -hmm. and the rethink, right? Um, it That's how you get good craft. Mm -hmm. And it is, that's the hardest part for new writers because they, you know, think that they just like spew gold the first time or else they like mm -hmm. do an edit and they're like, and it's done. <laughs> but like, you know, I, I also think that it's a misnomer that writing is a solitary craft. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe in some forms it's more so like a novelist isn't going through a writer's room in the same way that a screenwriter is. However, it's not solitary either way. People mm -hmm. form writers groups for a reason. People have editors for a reason, right? There are always people in process of the development of a creation. And part of the issue with the writer's room debacle is people not understanding the craft of screenwriting, mm -hmm. right? It goes back to our conversation about devaluing not just the people, but the craft itself because they don't understand how it works and why it's important to have a process like that to get the product that they want mm -hmm. they just don't want to pay for what it takes to get said product yeah and i i'm not in the screenwriters guild so not, none of us in this room <laughs> are currently in the screenwriters guild so I, again, encourage everybody who's listening to this or following the strikes to go to the WGA's website um, and see exactly what the writers are asking for. And also you can find resources on how to support them there as well. Um, it's always better that it comes from the source than secondhand. Uh, I'm doing my best here, but, you know, uh, go to the writers, see what they're asking for. So that's the WGA side. Yeah, because it's shockingly not unreasonable. So now SAG-AFTRA.
Um, so the WGA had been struck for about a month, and then SAG-AFTRA started having rumblings of a strike. Um, SAG-AFTRA is all of your favorite big-time actors, as well as 90% of actors in, this, uh, in SAG-AFTRA that are just background actors. So when you watch a film, you see, uh, let's say there's like, like the Avengers film, um, during when they're, you know, tearing up New York City (laughs) and there are all these like civilians that they're trying to rescue and save. Those are background actors. Um, and many of them are career actors. So like they do these background roles over and over and over. And they also do short films and all kinds of other things within the guild. Um, uh, so they do a lot of work. They make up, again, 90% of SAG-AFTRA. Uh, I think I was reading something where only 75% of them make over $26,000 a year. That is not a livable wage. The average working actor is not making their full-time living from acting. Yeah. Yeah. It's not great. So, um, on the SAG side of things, there are, again, two major sticking points, streaming residuals and AI. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Whoa. Are you trying to tell me that the same problems just exist for both groups? Yes. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) So, for SAG-AFTRA, the streaming residuals thing is literally the exact same as the Writers Guild. They want to know what the numbers are, and they want to know how much they're being paid and how much they should be paid. Yeah, because Um, it it very much affects not just their initial paycheck, but how they're paid afterward. Yeah. How is their time and their talent being rewarded every time that episode airs because it's mm-hmm. different in the world of streaming. And the other thing that we have to remember here, which like a lot of people would be like, well, if you make $5,000 for a project, why aren't you happy with that? Because as an actor <laughs> or a screenwriter, I just I loved that number because <laughs> it was like most of these actors are not being paid $5,000 for a project. Well, there's there's that, but also there's the fact that like as an actor and a screenwriter, I I am not guaranteed to work 40 hours a week, 40 Mm -hmm. hours for, you know, five days a week. So I am not guaranteed a yearly salary. So each job that I do is very, very important to me making a living. So even though it sounds like, you know, actors and writers, if you look at the numbers, you're like, oh, they're asking for so much. But actually, they're not. Because if you only write one thing the entire year, you have to be able to live off that. Um, if you only act in one thing the entire year, you have to be able to be able to live off of that. So like, um, and and these and we're talking about actors who already have like second and second jobs that are now getting second and third jobs in addition to acting. And we're we're not just talking about like you know, people that we've never heard of or seen before. Um, the writer of The Bear, which was arguably arguably one of the biggest releases from FX this year. Um, he talked about how he still had a second job. He had overdrawn his account for the premiere. <laughs> and he was like, I'm just I'm just trying to make a living on on all of this. So it's it's widespread. It's not just, you know, the famous actors who we see making millions of dollars. We're not are fighting right now for Margot Robbie necessarily we're fighting for the people who 
you don't really pay attention to in the background. Um, so that's why streaming residuals are important for SAG-AFTRA. Again, making a living wage. Um, AI for SAG-AFTRA is slightly different, but basically the same. Um, it is just in I a think different people font. People <laughs> know less about how it affects actors, mm -hmm. though. And yeah, but it, that's true. It, it, they're affected in much the same way, but it's mm -hmm. like scarier because their product, quote unquote, is like their face, yeah, not their writing. Yeah. So um, for SAG-AFTRA, AI has become a, a hot point because you can now download people's likenesses. Mm -hmm. um, and you can download entire films into AI that are already made with actors' likenesses. Um, and where that becomes a problem is then you have that, la that actor's uh, uh, face forever. <laughs> so what some studios had already started doing, and even though this was like a, a future point that, this, that SAG was arguing, they'd actually already started doing this on a couple sets um, where they would scan an actor's likeness into this AI database. They would pay them a flat rate of like $150 yeah. and then have them sign a contract that said the studio could use their likeness in perpetuity. Which is terrifying. Yeah. Because and you have no control none. over what your image is used for. And it was purposefully vague <laughs> because it didn't say that we could use it on this movie in perpetuity. It just said in perpetuity. And you and this is why it's scary because like in perpetuity for the specific project mm -hmm. is very normal right mm -hmm. you like you're gonna sign a contract if you're working on a film or working on a tv set they they can use your image in perpetuity for this project because otherwise they're not gonna hire you mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's mm -hmm. why they're hiring you is so they can use your image in this movie forever um but not any other movie they want mm -hmm. because now they're only paying you once and they're done with you. And also then you don't have any control over how it's used. So I was giving an example before and I was saying like, let's say you sign up to be a background actor on an episode of Blue's Clues and they scan your likeness um, and they have it forever. And then, uh, you know, down the road, they decide that they're going to do a Fifty Shades of Grey remake and they need a background actor to be in one of the sex dungeons they could just pull your likeness from this database and put it in the scene with none of your consent mm -hmm. so it's it's really like it's it's scary on two fronts not just that you're not being paid but also that you have literally no control over how things are happening and there are people who and there are people who've written about this happening mm -hmm. there was one actor who talked about signing up for a project signing one of these contracts, not fully understanding what it was he was signing. Mm -hmm. And then he found out through friends, not, you know, he, because he didn't have to be notified that his image was being used for something else, mm -hmm. but he was used, it was for a video game, which people also don't think about, right? Yeah. Because actors are involved in these video game cutscenes and different things. Mm -hmm. And his image was used as like the bad guy and the players had to like brutally murder him. So his image was now being used to just be murdered mm -hmm. repeatedly over and over by everyone. And that, if you make that choice, then that's fine. Mm -hmm. But not being allowed to choose 
that you get murdered is horrible. Yeah. It's it's about it is again about like respect for the actor. They are not just a likeness on a screen. They are a person um, who makes you know choices and should be in charge of how they are used in different ways. Um, so that's one of the issues of AI. <laughs> there's other <laughs> there's other issues that like come with AI um, and that sort of thing. Um, again, I. I, I encourage everyone to look up the SAG-AFTRA. Um, there have been quite a few people that have actually like posted the SAG-AFTRA um, negotiation te- um, negotiation points for this last um, round of negotiations, and they are many. Um, again, like another third thing that's uh, happening for SAG-AFTRA is protections for actors on set. Mm. Um, we like to think that actors are treated like so lavishly you know every story that we hear about like oh somebody was in their trailer and they can only have green m&ms or you know those are few and far between (laughs) and they're only for your meryl streeps and your viola davises now (laughs) that is not how normal actors are treated on set Um, And there are actually, like, a lot of loopholes. Like, we just recently heard about, like, the Rust, like, had a conclusion of the Rust saga that was happening, Um, which if you didn't know about that, there was a prop that misfired on set, um, killing um, one of the photographers involved in in the production. Um, And that was a big, that was one of the, like, most recent examples that we've seen of actors and and crew not being treated safely on set um but that's one in a very long history of actors and crew not being treated safely on set so this round of negotiations was also about talking about protections for actors like making sure they have regular meal breaks um and that they get paid on time that was also wga um (laughs) and the answers from the studios have been very interesting um, I, again, occurred, encourage everybody to look at it because it was very, very apparent that they just don't want to as- respect actors or the WGA for anything that they do. Well, and just to put things in perspective, the studios that are being the worst about it are the ones with the most money to yeah. meet these needs. And I say needs because yeah. it's not like... You know, this cute little wish list that people have created, it's like people, what people need to protect themselves, to protect their property, Mm -hmm. and to protect their way of making a living. Um, But there are small production houses that don't have all of these dollars that have already met these demands. Yeah. Um, So SAG-AFTRA actually has a list uh, on their website of productions that have been approved because independent studios have already um, have already signed on the dotted line for their demands. They've been like, yes, we will honor the new contract. Um, one of the big ones is A24. Um, most of the, all of them are independent um, film studios that are operating on a much, much smaller budget than the big studios like Netflix and Disney, but they've already agreed. 
and they've already gone to they so they're already working on projects um the new film about um, priscilla presley that's coming out is a24 and they've been given license to go ahead um there's a bunch of films right now that are out there and they're all on the sag after website so this is this is one of those where it comes down to what is the strike really about what what why don't the studios feel the need to you know pay their pay the people um who are making this art that's making them billions of dollars i mean we just saw um barbie make 1.4 billion dollars um why don't they want to pay the people that are making this art that's making them all this money and i think it really does come down to they just don't respect artists um and that's really sad because art and the humanities um, are what we can view the world through. That helps us to shape our worldview a lot. Um, and they've been doing like a lot more studies here recently um, about like how the humanities affect people. And it's astronomical. Kids who grow up without the humanities are much more likely to be angry <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Um, and to just have, you know, like not have words to express their emotions and not understand why they're feeling what they're feeling. And it leads to people who are just angrier and not not as happy. So, yeah, so don't be angry. Watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> we learn a lot from the humanities, which like I don't think people think about. But we learn empathy. Yeah. We learn emotional intelligence. We learn how to be human. Yeah, we do. We really do. And so like devaluing artists is only going to hurt you in the long run um ai can never do what we do and and so like as we wrap this conversation up part of our goal is simply to explain what it is that's happening mm -hmm. and why it matters um but as brashina has said go on these unions websites mm -hmm. see what it is they're demanding understand that it is not unreasonable in the least and in the meantime, I encourage you, as you watch movies, as you watch TV shows, pay attention to who's writing them. Watch the credits. The, you, you know, the credits, <laughs> I know they're not visually exciting, but like at the very least, mm -hmm. pay attention to how long the credits are. I mean, they just go on forever. Mm -hmm. And it's because it takes a lot of people to make good art happen mm -hmm. and all of those people deserve to be paid pay attention to the writers pay attention to whose minds these stories are coming from mm -hmm. i would love to live in a world where the writers are just as build build as equals to directors and actors because people are excited about oh did you hear the new thing that so and so wrote that's a world that I would be excited to be a part of, where we start to pay attention to the brilliant minds who are giving us these stories that we latch on to, who are creating these characters that we empathize with or relate to. I mean, in, in the world of books, we already have that, right? Because mm -hmm. it's the only person on the cover It's that it, it came from this person's brain. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the same with film and television and plays this came from someone's brain which is just wildly cool the only difference is that as opposed to you giving life to it yourself on the page other artists have given life to it for you through the 
world of acting and directing and sound editing and light and all the crazy things that go into making art. So pay attention to who's writing these stories and start saying their names the same way that you say your favorite director or your favorite actor's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Woo, that was a long one. <laughs> Sorry, I got on my soapbox for a second. <laughs> no, I love it. I'm always on a soapbox for some reason. Um, Mackenzie, tell them where they can find out more about us. Yeah, so you can find us on Instagram at Imagine This Theater Pod, theater with an R-E, or at Wild Imaginings Waco, wildimaginingswaco.com, or through our wonderful producers, Rogue Media Networks. So support the WGA, support SAG-AFTRA, and pay attention to who is writing the stories that you already love so much. For now, thank you for joining us to imagine more of this. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. Thank you.